0: Thank you so much for taking the time to consume this episode of The Waggle. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. We recorded this episode before Garrett Marino was suspended for four games by the CFL for his actions against Jeremiah Masoli. And Nick Arbuckle was traded from Edmonton to Ottawa to help Ottawa with their quarterback issues with Masoli being down. So we talked about both of those scenarios before those things happened. Keep that in mind. Keep that in context. We'll break all of those things down and more next week. But so far for this week, hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast
1: of the Canadian Football League. Big hopes and dreams for the future to to officially welcome this region into the CFL family. Touchdown Atlantic games have been a big part of the, the league's ecosystem over the past many, many years, and we're looking forward to being here.
0: That's right. This is the Waggle Podcast. Welcome once again, and this is Touchdown Atlantic Week and episode 300, Mama, We Made It. Uh, it is great to talk football again with you. I am Donovan Bennett. He is Enoch Mwamba. We are doing this via the CFL and CFL.ca, and speaking of the league, we talked to the head of the league, Commissioner Randy Rosie later in this episode. So if you get tired of, of my cold takes uh, and Enoch caping for the Argos, stick with us. <laughs> because the commission is coming up. Uh, but first, before that, some housekeeping. Uh, thank you for listening, first and foremost. Please like, favorite, share, subscribe. And you can also subscribe not to... Also, only wherever you listen to podcasts. You also can do it on YouTube, on the CFL's YouTube channel, where you can watch us all year long, because Enoch is not a radio face. He's always behind a face mask. We need to see those pearly white teeth, and he actually gets paid by the view of this uh, <laughs> very podcast, so let's get those numbers up, uh, shall we? Speaking of numbers up, man, we had a couple great performances and a little bit controversy this week, why don't we start, know, with the Battle of Alberta, Calgary going to Edmonton. And, uh, you know, young Trey Ford's numbers were good. They were just were short-lived. After he made maybe a play that showed us what his ceiling could be, scrambling, you know, making a, a throw to, to Loxley down in the field for a big play. On the next play, his shoulder uh, gets injured. He's knocked out of the game. Um, he, he, I don't believe, is on the sixth game yet based off of the date of of us taping. But, um, you know, it it looks like it'll be, um, you know, somewhat of a a long-ish injury. So there's a question of the quarterback position for the Elks because Loxley, the person he he completed that pass to, was also hurt in the game. But maybe we'll start uh, with Calgary. uh, Getting the win, still undefeated, uh, they go into uh, you know the, the match with Winnipeg next week undefeated. Um, this is the first game they didn't trail at the half, um, and, and they found a way to put up big points and score 30 in every game. They controlled uh, this game. What did you like from what you saw from the stamps?
2: Man, you know what? Calgary is a battle-tested organization, and they have at the helm a guy that everyone is very familiar with. Bo Levi's been around. He's been there. He's been through almost everything. And as long as you have him, someone who's been through the ups, who's been through the downs, and there's not a lot of downs over the course of his career, he's a guy that's going to make you believe. And so uh, you mentioned they weren't necessarily down at half this particular game. I kind of like that because now this is a team that knows how to play from behind knows how to persevere we saw what they did in hamilton when they were um you know getting really blown out they never quit they never gave up obviously it's not a good thing for the rest of the league but if you're a stamp fan you want to see a team that's complete a team that knows how to win that knows how to fight and that's what they've been doing all season long and now they had the ability and opportunity to just capitalize it was a lopsided um Battle of Alberta game. And, um, you know, the truth is Edmonton's still not quite ready yet, DB.
0: Yeah, well, listen, you talk about being battle-tested and being in lots of situations. There was a rain delay. uh, And after the rain, there was still, you know, some flooding. Uh, Stopped the game for over an hour. Didn't phase Calgary. They looked as efficient with their execution pre-rain delay as they did before. Um, When it rains, it pours for Edmonton because their defense was porous. Uh, but also, they didn't get much play from Nick Arbuckle. 13 of 20 for 97 yards. And most importantly, two INTs. And as I mentioned, Trey Ford's down. He's going to be out for multiple weeks. That we know. But we know Chris Jones. There's a lot of things I can say about him. Patient. is not one of them. So it, it's not as if Nick Arbuckle can assume, oh, Trey Ford, the shiny rookie, is on the shelf for a bit. I got some time to work my way. Into this role, you need you have some time, and if you don't use it, you might work your way out of the city.
2: It's a weird situation out there in Edmonton. DB, I mean, look, there was a weather delay. To be honest, when you look at a weather at a weather delay like that, you're looking at the team that's up, and you're saying to yourself, "Man, I hope they're going to be able to keep up the performance that they've had thus far." And if anything, it was worse for Edmonton when they came back after the stoppage. I mean. It's just a proof and a testament to the type of culture that is in, in Calgary and the complete opposite that's in Edmonton. I mean, it's a it's a team that is completely being rebuilt. Uh, Chris Jones is literally f- creating the foundation. And you can see that he has still a lot of, a lot of work to do. I mean, they were undisciplined, lots of penalties. Um, you know, they weren't able to sustain drives, turnovers, you name it. It happened in that game before the delay, after the delay continued to happen. You look at the Trey Ford situation. I mean, we talked about it last week, DB. We talked about, at least I did. Let's put an offense together that will make sense for a guy like Trey Ford, who's not necessarily at the stage in his career where he can stand in the pocket, read a defense, and throw darts, and go down the field like a certain guy out there in BC who's been doing a great job at it. We'll get to that later on. But... We talked about getting an offense that is really ready and that complements his skill set. That is the problem a lot of times when you see a a running quarterback. uh, Fans want to see that. It's exciting to see, but coaches are very conservative, and they don't want to do that because of just that. They had some plays that were designed runs. Uh, you know, quarterback powers where you're pulling off into linemen and allowing your quarterback who can run and athletic to do just that. But these are the results that happen when you do such a thing. I mean, you have a whole week of practice that you got and, you you, you know, you get ready for all these plays that are really made for that particular quarterback. And then, boom, it's a high risk and high and, and high reward. But at the same time, when it doesn't work out, it backfires. It's never a good situation, as you can see. And, uh, you know, you could see the offensive staff I didn't want to go with a guy that had more experience in Nick Arbuckle. Um, they, they went with a, a, a Loxie who was a better fit guy for the, I guess, the, the offensive scheme that they brought into that game. And they practiced all week. Who was a running quarterback? And it just didn't work out. So it's going to be tough now moving forward. It seems like from the outside looking in, Jones and the coaching staff is not willing to commit to Nick Arbuckle from, from my perspective.
0: Yeah, so much good insight there. You talk about that delay and it hurting the team that's up. I actually viewed it from a different perspective. I was like, okay, the team that is at home normally benefits from the delay. You got the better locker room. You got more socks. You got you got your trainer, your equipment guy. You got options where if you're traveling, you only bring so many things with you. Um, so so I assumed that was going to help Edmonton. To your point, didn't help Edmonton, Calgary been in situations like that with crazy weather they're able uh to get through it 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 comes down to culture
2: calgary has an established culture you see them again they're losing they know what the standard is edmonton they're still trying to find themselves and um the weather delay did not help them. and even to your point they had hot tubs they had everything they could have (laughs) possibly used and they didn't use it and again To your point, it is a great facility
0: out there in Edmonton, but it
2: could not help them after
0: the weather delay. And they've struggled in that facility over a thousand days now between home wins in Edmonton. You know, uh, that organization is doing everything they can uh, to get butts in seats, to give them a product, um, including, you know, making special accommodations for children so that they can go uh, to to games uh, at, at a price friendly spot. Cost so so families can come out, but man, um, hide 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 the women and children when you're watching that that offense play. It is <laughs> if, scary if, hours.
2: If you're a betting man, because we know I can't be, I can't bet on anything CFL. But if you were a betting man, how many calls did Jones make to Danny
0: Machocha? And we won't
2: go into details. Oh, but Dv,
0: what are you oh, thinking I'll, right I'll, now? Oh I'll, oh, I'll go into details. <laughs> you me? Well, there's a couple of things. One is I don't know what the meeting room uh, seating situation is, uh, you know, in, in Edmonton. Uh, but I hope they have stadium seating because there's going to be a lot of people coming into those meetings. Uh, it's it's going to be a packed house. Uh, so the 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 the, uh, the the guys coming in for workouts, the guys coming in and out of the practice r- roster uh, will increase. Hey, listen, I, I'll tell you right now, you talked about having a fit. And, and having quarterbacks that are aligned in terms of, you know, what you do offensively. Well, Vern Adams Jr. is very athletic. Uh, oh, but those hamstrings are getting tight. To stand on the sideline chart in place. And mm-hmm. it, it, you're talking about Chris Jones. Someone, again, remember, who is familiar with Vern Adams Jr. Had him in Saskatchewan with Brandon Bridge and Kevin Glenn. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. Brandon Bridge did a bunch of... Um, you know, interview shout out to Air Canada one that was on Sportsnet talking about Trey Ford and that next step. And one thing he said about Chris Jones is Chris Jones doesn't care where you're from, it doesn't care what happened in another situation or organization. It's what can you do for me? What and what have you done for me lately? If I already have you, it's Janet Jackson that way. And so, um, yeah, I, I it's tough to guarantee anything because increasingly there are more teams in need of help at the quarterback position based off of health or based off of performance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I see that being a, a logical fit. And um, we'll get into, um, you know, the the decisions being made um, across the board in Montreal uh, and, and at the quarterback position specifically.
2: The question is only going to be, what is he going to be willing to give up? Because I'm sure if we're talking about Vernon Adams Jr. leaving Montreal, They're not going to let him go for just a bag of chips. I'll tell you that. And we could, you know, that's going to be a longer conversation. And he's going to have the right in Danny Machocha to ask for whatever he wants.
0: That's true. But, uh, you know, and we'll get into it a little bit now. uh, Danny Machocha bought all those groceries. And so now (laughs) he doesn't have anyone else to blame. He has to cook the meal because the chef was dismissed. He's gone. Shout out to Kahari. And, and, and Miles, they will get other roles in this league. Uh, don't, don't sleep. Uh, so you, you have essentially two players on your roster making mid-level starting QB money. And if, in a cap league, if you can remove one of them and allocate those resources to uh, fix some of the mistakes, potentially, that you made um, in terms of building the roster, uh, beggars can't be choosers now.
2: And oh, so yeah. you're
0: in a division that, uh, last I checked, uh, every team in the East sits below 500. Is up for so the taking. Couple in? moves, you, you get you get you get on a roll. Uh, that changes the conversation. So yes, I agree that maybe there might be a little bit of a market for Vernon Adams, which might increase the cost. But um, when you're not playing a guy, and you got two guys ahead of them on the depth chart, you you can't you can't ask for. Luxury brand prices when you're you're treating the the, the brand like fast fashion. So we we'll, we shall see. This is why um, you know I, I love the league because it is a it is a very small big league. If that makes sense. You,
2: and you can't make the storylines anything that happens throughout the season. You can't make them up. You can never no. make them up, but you can't predict them. It's going to be interesting no. to see going forward.
0: Well, listen, you, you could you can't make up or predict. Uh, what we saw in Saskatchewan between Ottawa and, and Sask. And, and it's not even just about, you know, the game in, in Saskatchewan. that gets a win. Ottawa still hasn't got off the side. It's what that means for the teams moving forward, given Jeremiah Masoli out 10 to 12 weeks, looking to maybe come back for the end of the year. Uh, you know, someone who's had a history of, of knee injuries, Bone bruise, which will require some surgery. And I haven't had one, thankfully, but, but but some say, you know, a bone bruise can in some ways be worse than, you know, a, a bad strain or a, or a tear. Uh, so prayers up to Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, Garrett Marino um, was not praying for Jeremiah Masoli as he was carted off the field. Um, he, he was saying some other things that we can't say on this podcast. Um, uh, you know, had Har and the Red Blacks fired up, uh, a hit that may have been late, definitely was low, had him ejected from the game, uh, was riling up the crowd in a game that, you know, at that point was over, but the, a game that was also chippy. We, we should, for context, mention the fact that Dino Boyd, offensive lineman for Ottawa, uh, you know, had a... Uh, a, a late hit uh early well, actually not too too long before uh the late hit on on Soli um which the Saskatchewan uh you know sideline didn't uh you know take too kindly of because that knocked out Pete Robertson from the game uh and, and that's their sack leader you know important uh, player for the team And, in you know uh, defenders lives matter as well we're not just upset because Jeremiah Masoli, you know, one of the faces of the league star quarterback is gone. Um, You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pete deserves some thoughts, but it it got kind of ugly. We'll see if there is any discipline from the league um, and and what that looks like. And so we set a precedent because, you know, Twitter was wild and people were talking about throw him out of the league, throw him out for the entire year. Like neither of those things are happening. Right. So let's, let's, Calm down. In terms of precedent, which, as you know, for the PA, really matters. Um, for an on-field incident, you know, what we've essentially seen is two games. Kyrie Sebert, um, Simone Lawrence, um, uh, Kalief Mitchell, they all got, got two games. So, you know, when you adjudicate these things, to set something higher than the previous precedent is somewhat of a move, but also that then becomes a high-water mark for where these things are judged. But the lack of remorse, some people may have said, uh, did Boyd push him in? But, you know, when you talk smack after you make the play and talk smack walking off the field and are celebrating and rallying up the crowd, um, you know, you can't then say to judge and jury, like, uh, I didn't mean to. Uh, It wasn't premeditated. Um, Nate Bahar has argued that it was so premeditated that it started at the keg. We'll see you tonight. Uh, For real, for real. Uh, The night before the game, And that um, Marino said some things that were uh, racially insensitive. Um, All that to say, uh, a lot was going on. You know, I'll give you your piece, but I'll say this. Having played the game, watched it, covered it at many levels, there is never solely blame on one side. We can go through coaches' tape, which people are now doing, and find cheap shots and late plays, and jippy stuff all over the field. Uh, on both sides, you, you, you know it is incumbent on the officials to clean the game up and keep it under control so it never gets to that point. and that happens at all levels, whether it's it's Tyke or whether it's CFL. but also'll I'll, I'll say this, there's a way to 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 get people back to even the score when when players try to police it, but you do that between the whistles, you, you do that with hard play, and you do that on the offending party, the person who did the dirty play in the first place. You don't do that on a quarterback who who, had, who literally hands off and throws the ball, who could not have done anything to a defender. That, that's, that's my piece. I'll kind of remove myself from it and give you your take. It's interesting for the PA, as you know, because you, you obviously want to represent the player in – the the you know arbitration but for me you also represent the player who got hurt right this is a brotherhood in a sense um you know what is your take on what happened and and the the types of ways these things go when things like this happen
2: man you said so many good things out there that i wanted to come out comment on but first things first like i'm a defensive player i'm a middle linebacker I pride myself on the physical play that I bring to the game. I love watching physical football. As a matter of fact, I don't, I'm trying to think back how many unnecessary roughness or late hits I've had. I, I remember one in particular. It was against Mike Riley. Yes, I said Mike because his name was still Mike Riley at the time, maybe four or five years ago, and he was trying to get extra yards. I hit him late, and and they threw me a flag, but that was it. When you look at this instance right here, whenever anything happens between the whistles and hit the quarterback in the strike zone as we um, refer to it as, you want to go as hard as you can, you want to be physical, that's what the game is about. When it comes to situations like this, I can't speak to what I didn't see, what I didn't hear, um, You know, referring to the rant that uh, you sent me uh, a couple of days ago from Nate Bahar. But what I did see was a hit that was one too low, and what I didn't like even more than that was the lack of remorse as the play continued on, because sometimes you can go low, not intentionally necessarily, and you can kind of see the offensive lineman on that specific play who tried to save himself after he got beat and pushed him slightly. I don't know if it um, you know, it made the, thing, uh, the situation any worse at all, but... You can sometimes see people who are going low. They know they're going low, and they try to save them. There's a reason why those rules are set in place. This is pro football, and I, as a defensive player, I understand how much value quarterbacks bring to the game, how important they are to the game, the business itself, and everything that comes that may, that, that 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 is football. What I was disappointed in is the lack of remorse from Marino. I mean, you make a play like that. You get up, you're beating on your chest, you're talking to the fans, you're blowing kisses, you're walking off. That's what really disappointed me. You know, you got to think of a guy, you know, in Mazzoli who is actually, you know, trying to flip the page and starting anew and has a family and has mouths to feed, really. He's a guy who's defenseless in the pocket for for a defensive player to come in and do such a thing with a lot of, you know, you, you you can call it what you want, but to me it was a, it was a dirty hit. It was really low. Um, it's sad to see. When it comes to the disciplinary actions, I think it may be kind of severe just because of the simple fact that I, the, the, the facts that I just mentioned. This is a quarterback. This is a rule that has been harped on over and over and over again for the last few years. I mean, we get talked about this every single year. Where to hit quarterbacks, where not to hit quarterbacks, how to approach the game. And for that specific reason, not only the Ottawa Red Blacks will lose on this because of that play, the whole league is going to lose on it. Um, you know, it's not going to be a good side at all. And so, um, looking at the, the CFLPA perspective, you talked about representing both sides. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> we're going to have to see if Marino is going to even try to appeal whatever sanction is going to be um, put uh because of that play and going forward it's going to be it's going to it's going to be hard I mean the evidence is right there you know as a PA you know the lead the PA is going to do what they can to try and defend him but there's some things that are hard to defend and this is I think one of them
0: yeah you mentioned that disciplinary process full disclosure uh because you are going out east and because we want to get this podcast up in a timely fashion we are taping this before that process uh, is taking place, but it, but it is you know, somewhat likely that the discipline you know will have come out by by the time this podcast hits your ears. So we will maybe circle back next week uh, to talk about what that discipline is and, and how we feel about it. Uh, and talk about Masoli and centering him with this. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Marino took. Money out of his pocket, took food off his table. Talking about a guy at the quarterback position who's been in the league for over a decade. Who part of his game is his legs, his athleticism, his elusiveness. He's coming off knee injuries. He's now had another long-term one. um You know, he he, he signed a relatively short deal in Ottawa to to bounce back to that high level to show that hey, there's a reason why I was considered. Uh, an MLP candidate. The last time I was a full-time starter and healthy, and so you know, in those negotiations, you know what you know what it's like. Your agent is representing you, and the the GM on the other side is not there to give you a fair deal. Not there to take care of you and your family. They're there to find any reason why they can argue you deserve less. And so this now is be part of the story, part of the narrative that, like, he could come back and in, in, in the stretch drive in the playoffs and play well. They will say and, and ask Zach Kas about this how did that impact his movement around the league and, and what he you know could have made in some of his prime years this will potentially impact his you know perception, his bargaining power, durability, you know first for a play that was easily avoidable. And I have I have a lot of time and understanding, even though I was an offensive guy, for defenders who say, you're making this game real hard. I can't go high, right? Tips and overthrows, we gotta get those. I can't go high and try and tip the ball because I might hit the helmet and I might hit the face mask. Can't go low because I can't take out the knees. So now I've got this, this small area uh, to strike, moving you know, at incredibly high speeds. But this is not a defenseless receiver in the middle of the field. Just jumping up where you're, you're trying to time things up. This is a quarterback in the pocket uh, not evading you. Um, when you're trying to get home, you know exactly where he is, and you know exactly what you're doing. So, um, you know, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. But, but most importantly, um, hope Jeremiah is able to make a strong recovery um, and, and put any doubts about his health to rest. But, but there are doubts in terms of what they do at quarterback now in Ottawa, and and they will be potentially in. Uh, the running for, for a new quarterback, um, given the injury at the position and, and where they are in the standings right now. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, the two guys, for me, who were playing at the highest level coming into this week, uh, faced off. That's obviously, you know, Claros and Winnipeg and, and Rourke and BC. And fair say the game didn't live up to the hype? Uh, and the difference really was turnovers. You talk about veteran teams. Winnipeg didn't turn over. BC turned it over four times, including two by Rourke. And their numbers are pretty similar. Uh, Zach was 23 of 30, 288 yards, three TDs against the number one passing defense going into the game. Rourke 16 of 25. His percentage comes down. But 278, three TDs. Had a couple dimes and big plays. But the two INTs um, – Man, give some love. We talked about quarterbacks, but let's, let's center the defense for this conversation. Give some love to Richie Hall and that defense in Winnipeg. One day of practice, a walkthrough, five-day week, coming in against an offense that's hot, and, you know, they really shut things down.
2: That, listen, DB, I said this over and over again. That Winnipeg team is led by their defense. Nothing against Zach Kolaris. I think he does an amazing job extending plays. He does an amazing job, you know, um just going off script sometimes and he's he's a veteran enough to be able to do that but that team goes where that defense goes and um you know you saw that right there and there um when they struggle a lot of the times it's because that defense is struggling and when they're doing well their defense is hidden on all cylinders you got a guy in you know richie hall who calls a great game who does really well? He's got some great weapons. It's very well documented. You got the Willie Jays. You got Jeff Goat out there, who's an unsung hero. And we don't always hear about him. You always have the Biggie um, who's there as well. But there are guys out there on that defense. So I'm thinking about Rose on defense who continuously make plays for that team. And every time they are doing well, that team is doing well. And it's not often that you catch them not doing a great job. And so. Uh, we knew that it was going to be a tough task for the young Rourke. And, um, you know, he, he he finally met a defense that was playing well from the beginning until the end. And, um, you know, this is the result. But look, this is one game. This is his first real loss as a starter. And, um, you know, let's see how he's going to bounce back. That's the, real, that's the reality of the situation. Let's see how he's going to bounce back. Let's see what kind of pro he truly is because the, re- the truth is, He's not. He wasn't going to go undefeated. He was going to. He was bound to lose a game. And how is he going to bounce back? This is a long season. Is he going to beat himself up, or is he going to be able to pick right back up
0: from the previous games that he had? Well, you talked about that defense in Winnipeg. This was probably their best performance in all three phases: defense, specials, and then offense. They even uh, scored on
2: special teams.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, and and we said about them, like winning, but they're not looking that great, right? I mean, they probably should have lost to you. But it's it, it. you watch them against BC, two undefeated teams, and it's almost as if, you know, like the great Olympic sprinter that through the trials, they're just managing energy, just getting out ahead, making sure they're in a good lane. Then when they're tested, we saw them now tested in the last two weeks, they bring their best, and when we've seen their best, they're going to get another good test this week in Calgary. Might be, you know, a, a Western final preview. I thought BC Winnipeg was going to be a Western final preview. Preview. If you're BC, you might not want that. In the last three games, BC and Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg has outscored BC by eighty-five points, one twenty-eight to
2: thirty-three. I, I was going to let this slide, but you okay. always say I'm a little bit too nice. But this oh, is going to okay. be raw, And this is my complete opinion. And we're okay. talking about this Winnipeg offense. I wasn't very impressed when they came to Toronto. I'm going to tell you right now. I was okay. not very impressed. Because you look at that Why? game. Why? They didn't do anything special. And again, when you look at the game that they played against us, it was Zach Kolaris running, extending plays, and uh, you know a receiver getting, getting open. That's how they started extending drives. But they didn't look too impressive to me at all. And, again, their defense came to the rescue. They scored early on in the game. And I was telling our team, I was telling my defense when we played against the defending back-to-back champs, listen, it's going to have to be our defense versus their defense. And that's a lot of the times how it goes. And a lot of the times their defense beats out the opponent's defense. And so uh, it wasn't surprising necessarily to me to see that the Winnipeg offense was not mind-blowing and blowing people away. again, special teams show up, showed up, defense showed up as per usual. And, you know, Zach Calaris was able to be even keel. He doesn't have to be a macho man. All he has to do is be able to manage a game. And again, he's not a management, a managed quarterback, a game manager, but, you know, every once in a while, he'll make some plays where you go, man, he is a better than average quarterback. So, you know, that's what plays in his favor. But beyond that, the truth is, like I said, I don't think that their offense has been necessarily wowing throughout the beginning of the season. There's just a team, the spirit of that team, again, back-to-back champions. It's a team that just finds ways to win does enough to win. Now, is that going to be enough to get them a third in a row championship? I don't know, but it's going to be seen. It's going to,
0: uh, it's something to be seen for later on. Well, I think you're right in saying that their offense doesn't wow. Uh, But I think you're also right in saying that they're a team. You know, they put up 43 against BC. So, you know, their offense did enough. Uh, Johnny Augustine averaged four per, one for 57. Uh, Brady Oliveira averaged five per. McRae gave it to him three times. He he averaged nine per. And then when you got Schoen and Ellingson, uh, you know, Schoen spent some time with with the Kansas City Chiefs. Ellingson, obviously, has made a name for himself. You know, they they combined for three TDs in – you know, almost, you know, well, they went for combined over 200. Um, These are not necessarily the sexiest names. They're going to be, you know, all CFL at the end of the year, but somehow they're getting it done because when we talk about Winnipeg, the conversation for me was in the last two years, look at the offensive playmakers that have left the building. Lucky Whitehead, Lawler, Harris. Those are the guys who get you excited but, but somehow they've been able to just patch and replace, patch and replace. Uh, once injuries start to mount up, we'll see if that depth is tested. Um, but, but I think they've, they've said, listen, if we're going to keep all these defensive playmakers, we can't afford to have all these offensive playmakers.
2: Uh, absolutely. And I think you're onto something, DB. Um, when they came to Toronto once again, this is two weeks ago, they were missing somebody on offense that doesn't get talked about often when you talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We know the names that get mentioned. And a lot of the times you don't mention number 10. Nick Dembski is a guy I've always mm-hmm. loved. And I think we've mentioned him before in the, on the podcast. You're going to have to go back in a couple episodes ago and we'll talk about how good he is. He just... Brings a whole new dimension to this team because he can do so many things well. I mean, he was a running back in university, and he can still run the ball if you put him in the backfield. They'll leak a running back out, put him in the backfield, and a lot of times when an offense will do that, the receiver will just block. But he can take the ball and run. He can run reverses. He can block extremely well as well, and he was not there. So I don't know if it's just the absence of Nick Dembski, but I'll give you another reason why I thought they weren't impressive. Are you ready for this one? We were sitting there in that game. And Buck Pierce, who was my very first quarterback when I came into the CFL, when I was drafted in the CFL in 2011, and now the offensive coordinator, they were running a lot of misdirection plays, a lot of trickery, left, right, pulling a guard to the left, throwing to the right, like just things that are not real football. Now, most teams have some of those plays just to break up, you know, the flow of the game and to keep people honest and stuff like She's that. Tendency breakers. Exactly. But when you're running a whole half and three quarters and four quarters, the majority of the plays that were ran were a lot of misdirection plays. I'll even say go as far as saying like 80 to 85%. And that's just off the top of my head. But there was a lot of misdirection plays. And when I see a team that's doing that to me, I'm telling myself, man, they don't think that they can match up with us and play real football. And so that is one of, another reason why I felt unimpressed. When we played against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and so I don't know if it was the absence of Nick Dembski or Buck Pierce just wanted to do that, but that's not how you win championships.
0: In you well, know, historically at least. The question is, they don't think they have to, or, or they don't think they can, or they and don't think they have the to. That could be the they, reason. That could be the reason. The, there, the, there is a distinction there with, the, with the difference. So uh, we'll see. You know, listen, they, they, they've got Calgary. Uh, this week. Um, and, and you've got, you know, uh, your hands full with Saskatchewan uh, this week. So we'll, we'll see what the uh, the talk is like when we have this conversation next week. Speaking of talk, before we preview those games, and we're back to four of them uh, this week, after a light week with three, we're going to have some conversation about where you're going and what you're doing. It's Touchdown Atlantic week. Touchdown Atlantic is back. And we talked to Commissioner Ambrosie about his perception of East Coast, the league right now, and why he's excited to bring the game of football out East. So you know, it's a big deal on the waggle when we're able to just get it past the first down marker and move the change and get into the schedule of Commissioner Randy Ambrose, who has been really generous with his time with us in the past, because that time is a valuable commodity. And that time is going to bring him to the East Coast as Touchdown Atlantic is back. Once again, we are going to the Maritimes and we're going to be able to celebrate the game of football in person. Uh, before we we talk about what is scheduled and why it's important for the league to have that fellowship on the East Coast, uh, how big of a hurdle is it to be able to take the game uh, uh, back out East?
1: Well, I'm I'm happy to say that. Uh we've just got so many great people that have worked on this project and that believe so passionately in this project where, you know, everyone uh, in Atlantic Canada that our group have been working with have been incredibly helpful. So, uh, you know, I think everything is looking great for a, uh, uh, an epic touchdown Atlantic, uh, you know, this coming, um, this coming week. And uh, we're really looking forward to, you know, to joining Atlantic Canadians and celebrating our great game with them.
2: Okay, it's so good to have you here, man. And Randy, I, I just really want to hear. Great Cup 109. The headquarters tent is going to be in downtown Halifax. What can you tell me? What can the people of Halifax expect? And what can they look forward to?
1: Well, you know, it's going to be uh, really two different things. Um, you know. At the highest level, it starts by really being an invitation for Atlantic Canadians to be part of Grey Cup 109. And that's, you know, uh, what a wonderful gesture uh, by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They felt like they wanted to roll out the welcome mat and make sure that Atlantic Canadians knew that they had an open invitation to uh, to be part of Great Cup 109. And frankly, an open invitation to be, uh, to be on hand in Regina on November the 20th for the 109th Great Cup. And in order to roll out that welcome mat and make it meaningful, what they've decided to do is really have these two different things. During the day, uh, it's going to be all about kids. It's going to be all about fun. It's going to be face painting. It's going to be uh, balloons. It's just going to be a wonderful atmosphere for families. To come and and be part of the great Cup experience, and again with the legendary uh, CFL and Saskatchewan Rough Rider hospitality, really uh, really excited about that. And then in the evening, it's for the um, it's for the young at heart, and the young at heart. It's going to be music. It's um, I understand there may be a libation or two available uh, to uh, to those that join. And it's going to be a lot like we see at a regular Grey Cup. It's going to be, you know, uh, Canadians uh, from coast to coast to coast joining into to uh, a real celebration of, the, of what I think makes Grey Cup so special. And that is that it's about togetherness. And Grey Cup has been bringing Canadians together now uh, for a very long time, 108 and, and soon to be 109 times. And the legendary, the legend of Great Cup is the game is great, but it's more what it does for the country, and that's what we're hoping to bring to Atlanta, Canada, and to that, uh, and to that tent, uh, you know, in uh, in Halifax, uh, coming up.
0: One of the things you don't traditionally see at a Great Cup is clinics being put on by the two teams in the game. Uh, It it is a busy weekend. It's obviously a prep week, but why? was that important, giving, uh, you know, the league and the teams an opportunity to to really touch and feel uh, the youth who want to be involved in the game at a grassroots level?
1: Yeah, well, Donovan, both you and Enoch know that one of the important qualities of our game is its inclusiveness, and it's something that we're all incredibly proud of, and, uh, you know, the invitation to come to um, to either the flag football clinic for, you know, for the 6 to 12-year-olds, it's co-ed. It's really, it is designed to give uh, the children uh, a chance to interact with our great players, uh, Enoch being one of them. It's a chance for them to, uh, you know, to learn a, a, a little bit more about the game of football and, and the joy that it brings to the players that play it and so that event is just a great opportunity to welcome that next generation of CFL fans into our league and the way to best do that and i remember my own experience growing up in winnipeg you know you had your you had your heroes right and you met them for the first time and they shook hands with you and and you still remember those moments as a youngster what it what it was like to be standing next to a giant and have them shake their shake your hand and give you a warm smile, and that's really what the flag football event is. And then the the football uh, learn and play uh, that's uh, uh, that's being done in partnership with Halifax Pride is again an an example of the inclusiveness that makes our game so special and is made has been such a big part of our league's history and. This is, going to, uh, this is going to be a great opportunity for those who just want to learn more about the game, you know, just in a, in a really fun and friendly way. And the Halifax Explosion, the, the women's tackle football team are going to join in and share their wisdom and knowledge. Again, I just think it's going to be a great opportunity to welcome people into our game. That's really at the heart of what makes the CFL so special. Is that uh, you know? I I I like to say that the CFL tent has enough room in it for everyone, and both the events that touch the the flag football event for kids and the football learn and play for for anyone and everyone who wants to come out is just a great example of uh, of the open the open arms the outstretched arms of the Canadian Football League.
2: Man, man. So you talk about, you started by mentioning inclusion. I got two beautiful little girls, Randy, as you know, and they might run in here at any point. And we're really gonna get tested here at the waggle about inclusion. But um, can you tell me, and am I hearing right about football learn and play that you just talked about and Halifax Explosion Women Tackle Football Team are they really going to get involved? What, what is going to be uh, happening surrounding that?
1: Well, yeah, it, you know, Enoch, it's, uh, it's designed to be, a, a I guess, a, a traditional but maybe not so traditional clinic. It's really a way for, for people who want to learn more about the game to interact with, with players who play it and, and have great passion for it. And the Halifax Explosion Women's Team is a great way for us to to um, you know extend that that uh, warm welcome uh, for people who maybe just want to come out and just hang around football players and to you know hear about their experiences and ask questions. And Enoch, you know this is true. Sometimes it can be a little intimidating, you know, to to feel like you can ask the question. Uh, something you maybe don't understand perfectly about the game, and now you're going to get a chance in a very safe, warm, and friendly environment to put up your hand and ask a question. And you know, maybe it's going to be, uh, you know, what is cover two? Because you, you know, you hear you hear Glenn Suter on on TSN talk about cover two, and maybe this is going to be an opportunity to ask, uh, you know, one of these great uh, these great. Um, explosion athletes to explain what cover two is and maybe a little bit more about the way defenses are structured. You know, e- Enoch, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm hoping some of them are going to ask about the changes we've made to the rules. And and now uh, with, the, with the hash marks moved in, I, I would like them to uh, ask uh, one of the linebackers how tough it's going to be if you're the wheel linebacker now to cover all that big field that's on the, that used to be on the short side and I, I just think it's a tremendous chance for people to really explore the questions they may have, and to, and to listen to these amazing um, athletes share their stories and, and explain the game. But again, the intent is done in a warm and friendly way, and uh, and all are welcome. Man, Man I, I thought, thought, I thought, I thought that,
2: that I thought that I was thinking about it. I was talking with my wife. Are they going to come? my wife and two girls, but now that you're talking about explaining in depth the rules, the changes, and everything, we might have to make that a for sure thing at the more of a household.
1: Well, Enoch, I think I've got three of my own that are slightly older than your two little girls, and uh, and I know this. Uh, I, I If I was given an opportunity to bring my, my kids into that environment, safe and warm and friendly, and have them you know, really get more closely connected to the game. I mean, it's it's hard to get more closely connected when your dad is a star in the in in the, in the Canadian Football League. But I think it will be a tremendous so tremendous opportunity for them to join in, and I would encourage them if for no other reason just to meet these remarkable uh, uh, players from the from the uh, explosion. I think it's going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. And definitely should bring uh, you have your wife bring the girls out because I'm sure they'll love it.
0: Well, as you're roaming around, the questions for you are going to be about a 10th team. And many have promised it and it hasn't been yet delivered. And you know, uh, uh, there is an aspect of, of this conversation where, as you know, people were paying attention to what was happening at city council meetings and appraisal of real estate. And over the course of the pandemic, that conversation has lost a bit of uh, momentum. Can you update uh, where we are in terms of a 10th team and in, in what the prospects are looking like in Atlanta, Canada specifically?
1: Yeah. Well, Donovan, I'd like to think it's, it's less about a promise and it's more about a commitment. I think that, we understand, and the league understands, and we brought in experts who have really helped us to see the value of expanding this league uh, to the 10th team. There's lots of structural reasons why 10 is better than 9. It would have a tremendously positive effect on our scheduling. It, it, that, that part of the answer doesn't, can't possibly explain the opportunity that comes to an embrace an entire region of our great country. And have them officially join the CFL family, which is something we aspire to. I, look, what we're what we're focused on is uh, is a different kind of conversation. We got to start by acknowledging that we want to be there. That's what it, that's where it begins, and that's why we're that's why Touchdown Atlantic, the Argos against the Riders this year, is so important. We want to show Atlantic Canadians how committed we are to Atlantic Canada. And uh, the second step is the right kind of conversation about how, what it's going to take to get there. And, you know, our belief today is that uh, the stadium, which is, really, which is really the linchpin, isn't so much about the CFL. It's what a stadium can do for the region. It's, it's the opportunity, and if you use uh, Tim Horton's field as an example, it's the opportunity to have an outdoor game uh, like the NHL hosted this past year. It's the opportunity to have a World Cup qualifier uh, game like they did at Tim Hortons this year. It's about all of the it's about all of the concerts that are hosted at Tim Hortons. It's about all the amateur uh, athletes, soccer athletes, and football athletes that get to play in a world class stadium and experience what it's like to be like Enoch and play and to play on the big stage and the joy that that brings them the stadium we think stands for it It has its own value it creates it's going to create its own set of opportunities we want to be part of that conversation but not the center of it we want to talk about why a stadium can be so important and will be fundamentally important to Atlantic Canadians and that the CFL if and when we can get that project completed, would like to to make that uh, a home of a tenth team. So, look, we are uh, we're not making any promises, but we are we are steadfast and we're resolute in our commitment to being in Atlanta, Canada. We think it's the right place for Canada's the tenth CFL team, and the fact that the Argonauts so graciously have offered to host a game there—they've been doing that now uh, for some time. I think it's a testimony to the commitment of the Toronto Argonauts, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. It's a it's a testimony to the commitment of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's a little further to travel to play the Argos uh, in in, uh, in Wolfville than it is to play them at BMO Field in Toronto. But we know both teams are happy to make that trip because they believe that a, sh- a expansion and a stronger CFL is good for the future for everybody. So it's look we're we're going to find a way somehow some way we're because again we're committed and we're resolute before, before we, let we let we go we, we
2: let we go could we have an idea cuz and 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 I was at Senecax and I know what it's like what the thirst what the hunger is like for football over there and going to Wolfville this year is going to be amazing and i can already anticipate how dynamic it's going to be but the whole east coast how hungry are they for this 10th team that you mentioned can you just give a brief just explanation about the welcome that you continue to get every time you go back there to try and prepare for this 10th team to happen
1: yeah you know what enoch i really love the question and i can tell you there's not been a time that i've had a chance to be anywhere in atlanta canada where you haven't felt that passion for sports. And you know that because you played, you played out East, and you know how passionate they are about the game of football. And it's been traditionally a very strong region for, uh, for Canadian football and, uh, and a great appetite for sports in general. Uh, look, I just don't think you can say enough about the people. You, you know this firsthand, the people are special. I'm talking to CFL fans who are going to be making the trek and they're going for a game but really what they're doing is they're using the game as an as an ex, and as an excuse to go for a vacation. There's a certain mystique about the East Coast that you know everyone's got the East Coast on their bucket list because the East Coast and it's uh, yes it's yes it's an ocean and yes it's beautiful but I think it's about the people. I think it's about a special a special group of Canadians who make uh, are welcoming and inviting and inclusive and warm and friendly, and I could keep going on and on. And I think Canadians just want to be part of that. And so we know that they've got passion for football. We know they got passion for sports. Um, they know they have passion for people. And we're going to put all of that together in a blender uh you know in the upcoming touchdown Atlantic and it's gonna be an amazing event and I think it'll just remind everybody, those in Atlantic Canada and those coming to Atlanta Canada, whether they come in person or they come in by, you know, to the game by TV uh or digital device, I guess we have to say these days, however they come, they're gonna see that passion, Enoch, that you are so familiar with and they're going to see that love of what we do and they're going to see that love of uh, CFL football on on display and i think that's just going to yeah, to dawn him into the point you made earlier i think we're going to reenergize this conversation we're going to remind everybody that we're committed and then we're going to remind everybody that it's not a, the stadium is not about football the, the the stadium is about an opportunity to create opportunities for Atlanta Canadians that they can't take advantage of today without a stadium so all things all things are pointing towards an amazing an amazing touchdown Atlantic Enoch I looking forward to watching you and your Argo teammates play against the riders two very good football teams as you know uh, looking forward to your will linebacker having to cover all that big open field on the on the short side and the changes that have been coming scoring is up uh, so far. Uh, uh, two and outs are down Uh, game flow has been improved we're shaving about four minutes uh, per game per per game off of the average time look all signs are pointing towards a really bright future and Enoch to you and your teammates best uh, best wishes and Donovan it's always great to see you
0: well it's always great to talk to you because you give us more than we even ask for because we, we didn't get the chance to ask about the hash marks, but you gave us a great appraisal of it. But the great part of the conversation is there is so much great things to talk about. Canadian quarterbacks flourishing, um, you know, the excitement and maybe potential of uh, another team in La Belle Provence. So we're steadfast in our commitment to try and get you in our schedule once again, to talk about all the great things going on in the league, but enjoy the time out East and do us a favor, make sure Enoch makes it to the game and isn't uh, enjoying too much of the party and the celebration uh, on the East Coast.
1: You know, Enoch, I'm personally, I'm totally happy to chaperone. If you need that, if that's what it takes,
0: I'm your guy. You know what? Done deal, then. I have to let the girls know.
1: Perfect. Take care. It's great to see both of you again and uh, best wishes to you and your families.
0: Now's the time to
2: let them know raise your voice and raise your game for glory, for your city, for your turn, CFL
0: let them know. So Enoch, you can hear the commissioner's enthusiasm uh, for the great people out east and really the great great people in the league. And we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, give flowers to and shout out uh, Kari Jones, for me, one of the great people in the league who, as we mentioned earlier, no longer in Montreal. Uh, he, he Danny Matrocha comes down from the executive suite, now is the head coach. So we'll see how, how that plays out. But what was your reaction when you heard Kahari uh, was let go? Because I don't know necessarily people were surprised. I, 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 I wasn't surprised he didn't have a contract next year, so it's tough being a lame duck coach. But I was surprised it happened now. You're, you're tied for first place in the East. Um, I know there's been some discipline issues, but uh, they've had a hard schedule and they've been in, you know, almost every game.
2: It it didn't make sense to me, Um, and this is me saying this as someone that's just watching. You're looking at the record, you're looking at the standings, you're looking at the direction in which the team is going, and everything that's happening around the season and and the organization, the period. It doesn't really make sense. There's a lot of things going on over there, and I don't know, and I don't think that the locker room was in favor of that, at least for the, with the few guys that I did speak with. I mean, Montreal is my former team, and I have a lot of friends that are still playing over there. And, you know, that's that, that's kind of some of the things that I heard, but nobody saw it really coming. I don't think that Kahari did not do a good enough job to still hold on to his position right now. And KJ is one of the, like you mentioned, one of the greats, not just as a player in the past, but you know, he's climbing as a coach that that, that that he's, you know, the great job that he's been doing for the last few years out there in Montreal. I thought that he was building something great. Yes, the record is not the greatest right now, but you look at the totality of the season and everything that's going on, they're only second in the in the East right now. And the East, even as the person who plays for the Argos, is really up for the taking. So to give a reason that, hey, there's not been enough discipline with you know baron miles's defense or not enough discipline from the whole team and you know the the specific i don't think the reasons that were brought forth to get rid of Kahara and his coaching staff were good enough that's me i'm not inside of those locker rooms i don't necessarily know everything but to me it's just not great timing and to me i, I we walked we came into this season there's a lot of word around this the cfl a lot of the guys and you know, you always hear what's going on in different locker rooms, and that was something that you can kind of predict. Danny Machocha has been a coach in this league before. He's a GM now. You can kind of see the moves that he was making. He was building his own his own team, bringing up guys that you know have worked for him in the past, and he was kind of setting himself up to take the reins. And uh, he saw an opportunity to me from my perspective, and he took it. And uh, this is where we are. The reality is the move has been made and this is where we stand. Now he's going to have to go through the rest of the season unlearning the previous coaching staff, uh, the, co- the, the coaching, I guess, decisions that have been made in the past, maybe perhaps playbook. I can't see him using the exact playbook that Kahara Jones was using. Well, offensively and using the exact same playbook that was used by Baron miles for the defense. It's going to be a tough job. I don't know if he underestimated that, but, that is the reality of the situation, which is why a lot of the times when things like this happen, it's a team that has tanked. It's a team that has no hope for the future or at least the future of the season. Now, this is a team that is very much in the running for this, for the Eastern Conference, and they got to make a lot of changes going forward. It's going to be interesting to see going forward, too.
0: Yeah, and, and Mitrocha has said earlier um, in his stint in Montreal that he has no interest. Coaching, so the question would be, Why did you make yourself the coach? You no, know, no, Thorpe is your boy. You could have put him in that role and made him the coach, you could still be a coach and call the defense, right? So, the thought of that the, the football ops cap is the sole reason as to why he's coming in. Um, you know, not necessarily sure, uh, that's true, but what one thing is true is that Danny Machocha has won, he's won at the youth sports level, he's won in the CFL with Edmonton, the team that he's facing. And I, I wonder if this was a decision that he was going to make at some point, so he just figured out I might as well make it early. You've got a bye week, and you, you have fresh meat. You have the Edmonton Elks coming into town with Taylor Cornelius starting, who themselves only have one win. And so if Montreal started to get on a roll, uh, it would have been infinitely more difficult from a PR perspective to remove Kari Hari at that point. So Bang. we'll see. Uh, there's 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 now, in terms of accountability, uh, Stern and Company—they only need to make one phone call when they have a question about what's happening on the field, and that would be to Danny Machocha. So, looking forward to the first one uh, this week, Thursday, in Montreal. Calgary goes to Winnipeg on Friday. Uh, the defending champs have had a real tough schedule to start the year, uh, and, and now they they host Calgary in a matchup of uh, teams who combined nine and zero uh, in this year, uh, is, is Winnipeg becoming the new Calgary, you know, in the same way that the, the, the Warriors almost had to go through the Spurs and became, you know, the new Spurs.
2: I, I believe so. I think it's a great analogy. Um, Winnipeg has been dominant for the last uh, couple of years, and this is going to be a great game because it's going to be like, Hey, look, who really is the cream of the crop in this league at this very moment, Right. And we talk about culture. I love to talk about culture because it matters so much. And both teams, both both organizations, are so wealthy, also so deep in culture. And so it's going to be a great game. There's going to be a team that's going to be uh, that's going to be up in the beginning of the game. You can never count them out. I don't care what the score is. Calgary just showed us that a couple of weeks back when they were in, in Hamilton. And so Winnipeg, we know they're champs. You can never, never underestimate the the, the heart of a champion. So it's going to be a good game because. You can't look away. You can't walk away too early. Uh, It's going to be one to watch for sure. And, of course, after the game is over, whoever loses, they're going to say, hey, look, it's just one game. But
0: we know there's a lot at stake for this one. Well, there's a lot at stake for both teams, for the community, and for you in the next one. Uh, We are going out to the Atlantic 2 p.m. Eastern start for uh, the touchdown Atlantic game this year. Sask obviously playing Toronto, who is the quote unquote home team out east. Uh, but this is a home away from home for you. Forget about the game. Let's just talk about you. <laughs> what are you most excited about in terms of going back to Nova Scotia to play?
2: Look, first of all, I want to say that I'm locked in. I want to say that I'm ready. I want to say that I can't wait for this game. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for not just myself, but my whole team to step on the field once more. But we're going a little bit early. Um, I have a lot of friends out there. I went to university out of St. Francis Xavier in Anaganesh, Nova Scotia. Bet you've never been there, DB. But, um, you know, the East Coast has always been amazing to me, showed so much love for me. So I'm excited to go back. Um, You know, I'm going to see some friends, some old friends. I'm I'm sure that, you know, Coach Waterman, who's my coach out there at St. is going to swing by at some point as well. We're going to chop it up and, uh, you know, just going to have a good time. And, uh, again, going out there for the dub but I can't wait
0: to go out there and enjoy the East Coast. I don't think I have been to Antigonish. I don't know if my youth sports, well, certainly my playing days, uh, didn't take me there because, you know, you weren't hosting any bowl games when I was playing. Oh, but, come on. We're going to um, do this? My my <laughs> my coverage didn't take me there. I've been to Mount A. Uh, I've been to St. Mary's. I, I believe I've been to Acadia. I don't think I've I, I think it's the – the stop on the trip that I've missed. Matt, I got to take so,
2: you there then, DB. I got to take you there, man. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we're the next time we have the commissioner on, we need to work him for a Grey Cup out east. That would be fire. That would be fire. I'd love I to like see that. I like how you're thinking. I love it. I'd love to see that. Um, In the last game, Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern, two teams not really thinking about the Grey Cup right now, just thinking about getting a win. Uh, and getting some good vibes back in the building, having a breakdown at the game where you hand out game balls and you say something positive. Um, bold prediction, Ottawa and Hamilton last game of the week. And uh, to me, this is kind of obvious, but I'm, I'm somewhat fascinated in where you go with this, given you know where your allegiances and where the rivalries lie. Which one of these teams finishes higher in the standings this year, Ottawa or Hamilton? Man, I think I told you
2: a couple weeks back, Otto was 0-3, and I said they were probably one of the better 0-3 teams you've seen in a long time. They had played the defending champs back-to-back, which could potentially explain their you know, a 0-2 uh, kind of sco- uh, schedule. But it's not just about the losses. It's the way that they were playing. They had a guy in Mazzoli who was able to always keep you in the game, now they lost him. I don't know who they're going to turn to out there in Ottawa. They don't necessarily have all the experience in the world as they're in, in, in you know, behind Mazzoli. So I'm going to have to go to answer your question with Hamilton. Again, Hamilton's a team that has been to the Great Cup multiple times. Yes, they have a they've had a rough, a rough start, but it's only a matter of time till they start picking things up, right? And they've how much lower can you go? They've really hit rock bottom. You saw Dane Evans after the loss last week sitting on the bench crying after the game because he cares so much. I know that he went back into this week of practice and prepared for this upcoming game. And um, I always say this, obviously he doesn't want anything bad to happen to a a good friend of his and, and, you know, Jeremiah Masoli, but he's not going to be mad that he's playing against a team that is probably going to be trying to find themselves really find a quarterback as well.
0: Yeah, listen, uh, producer Kyle is crazy for asking this question because I don't think it's appreciably close. If I have to choose uh, an Evans experience I want, I'm choosing Dane Evans over Taylor <laughs> Evans, no disrespect. And I say that saying I thought it was automatic win night for Hamilton last week when, uh, or, or, or uh, a couple weeks ago when they hosted Edmonton in Trey Ford, the 24 year old's first ever professional start. And we saw how that went. So, you know, it, would I be totally surprised if Ottawa, you know, down to their second quarterback found a way to win in Hamilton? No, but we also know that Ottawa's starting quarterback, Jeremiah Masoli is out for three months and we're already a month and change into the season. So it is gonna be really tough, barring a change and a trade um, in coming into Ottawa, for them uh, you know, to keep pace with a team like Hamilton who came into the season with great cup aspirations. So, I mean, listen, I, I'm sure uh, all of our friends wearing red plaid in the nation's capital will clip this and will play it back for me at the end of the season But I have to choose one right now. I think Hamilton is set up for more success throughout the season. So we'll see. Uh, Listen, this has always been a success because we love the loyal listeners. So continue to share, like, subscribe, and tell us who you want to hear, what you want to hear. If you see something you want us to talk about it, hit us up and let us know because we do this for you. We will hear Enoch on the East Coast from Ontario. That is how loud he's going to be playing both hitting and screaming. So I'm looking forward to watching it. Enjoy uh, the week. And we got to do a podcast next week. So just make sure you come back with some sort of voice.